the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 399. I'm Paul Spain. Uh, look, we're coming to you with a, a slightly different uh, episode this uh, week. So you may notice it sounds a little bit different from uh, from our usual episode, and that's because the time which I usually record, uh, I'm actually on board uh, a flight from the US to New Zealand uh, on board a triple uh, seven. With the New Zealand, so uh, I thought it'd be interesting just to try out uh, how we go in terms of uh, noise uh, cancellation and uh, and sound removal. So, uh, if you're hearing this and it's uh, it's not too difficult to listen to, that means we've been reasonably successful on that front. Also, wanted to try out Air New Zealand's uh, in-flight Wi-Fi and see uh, whether it'd be possible to uh, to upload a podcast episode uh, in flight. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's jump in. Now, first up, it probably makes sense to talk a little bit about uh, Air New Zealand's in-flight uh, Wi-Fi and and that experience, and it's certainly something that we've uh, we've we've talked about a little bit over the last uh, uh, six to six to twelve months. So, look, overall, my experience has been uh, been pretty good. Uh, download type speeds through uh, speed tests are, um, uh, are, are pretty reasonable but it does vary according to what you're doing in, in terms of how well it works or if it works at all. Um, now that said if I compare it to American Airlines uh, Wi-Fi which I tried earlier on uh, today uh, it is orders of magnitude uh, better so it's um, you know it's pretty useful overall. Um, a few notes it's Reasonably easy to switch from one device to another, so I had some things on my uh, uh, one of my phones that I wanted to get at on my uh, on my laptop. Needed to synchronise uh, uh, a little bit of information up to the cloud, and uh, and that that worked quite well. You can just basically after you've uh, after you've logged in, you don't have to pay for the other device, but you can go on and switch from one to another. Uh, now we were told that uh, you could do some low res uh, uh, video streaming from uh, YouTube, and that it does indeed work to a to a degree. Um, although I found it, t- it tended to pause, and yeah, the the quality is not uh, not that good. So it's it's a lot lower than you would probably typically expect uh, of a, a ten to twenty megabits per second uh, internet connection. So um, yeah, that's kind of, kind of interesting. I guess the latency comes into play there. Um, but but overall, the speeds that you see through speed tests don't seem to quite play out uh, in terms of how things work in um, in real life. Now, in terms of getting work done, uh, one thing I noticed is that uh, Dropbox uh, won't log in, and I keep some uh, uh, some audio uh, data that sits in uh, uh, sits in Dropbox audio, audio and uh, and video, uh, where they've conveniently got some unlimited plans. It's kind of handy. Um, but I was able to synchronise up uh, Microsoft uh, SharePoint through uh, OneDrive, so you know business data you can uh, you can access and. Uh, and work on the go. What didn't work uh, was the consumer version of OneDrive that failed to to log in. Uh, now, comparing to American uh, Airlines Wi-Fi, well, yeah, dramatically uh, better performance. Their uh, their speeds were when I tested them coming in sort of below one megabit per second, which is similar to what I've seen on uh, on on Emirates. In fact, uh, a little, little bit slower. Um, 
The other thing that, that was interesting with American Airlines is that their uh, entertainment catalogue of TVs and movies was available uh, free and you could just stream those straight through uh, their apps. They've built that capability into the American Airlines uh, app. Now, that uh, seemed like quite a good uh, quite a good idea, particularly on one flight I was on uh, where there were there were no uh, screens because it was a much um, it was a much smaller plane and so I gave that a try but unfortunately the the Wi-Fi uh, on board was a little bit poor I presume the content was uh, must have been cached locally in, in, in some form but if, even with that the more the movie was sort of you know pausing stops and starts uh, a little bit like what I have actually saw on um, YouTube in flight on Air New Zealand so a quick rundown on that one uh, now the other thing from my time in the US was I wanted to have uh, a bit more of a, a, a look about the practicalities of ride sharing with Lyft and Uber. And when I talk about ride sharing, uh, not just using one of these uh, uh, Uber or, or Lyft services, but actually sharing your ride with other passengers to see, uh, you know, wh- how good is that, and is it a, is it a practical alternative um, or an or an in between option? For those that uh, maybe don't don't want to have a car, or they're travelling, but they're not they're not wanting to pay sort of uh, you know the the full costs of, of catching an Uber or a, or a taxi around the place. And the interesting bit that stood out to me was that uh, the fares were they seemed too low. So I, I wonder whether uh, Lyft and, and and Uber are really trying to compete quite heavily uh, in this area for the and also to win new customers onto their services. A journey that would normally uh, take in Philadelphia about $8, typical uh, typical fare. I saw that taking uh, or costing about $2.70 uh, US. So you know, I can imagine that's probably pretty similar to um, a bus fare, but uh, generally a lot uh, a lot quicker coming right to where you are and, and dropping you off at the right spot. But you have to uh, bear in mind that you might be uh, stopping and picking up one or two other passengers on the way and and dropping them off uh, along the along the journey, but it does bring uh, you know bring some interesting you know thoughts through in terms of taking cars off the road. Well, you know that sort of shared service is, is probably something that can uh, reduce the number of vehicles on the road, and certainly those current prices pretty uh, pretty cost effective. And if we look forward to a world with autonomous vehicles, you can imagine those prices maybe being able to stick around uh, longer term. Or, or possibly even being live, but I imagine right now that uh, Lyft and Uber were subsidising those because the prices were just uh, just so low. Now on to another subject. Uh, Rocket Rocket Lab have. Uh Announced that they will, or they've conf- confirmed that they're going to be finalising uh, US launch sites, uh, likely in August. Uh, and meanwhile, they've secured overseas investment office approval uh, to keep using Mahia Peninsula as their launch site for uh, for the next twenty years, and their location in uh, T- Chatham Islands, uh, which they use as a, a satellite monitoring station. Uh, they're able; they've got uh, they've got that as well for sort of monitoring. The, the launches uh, for 20 years as, as well. All right, sorry, just a, a slight pause there as um, smoothies were being uh, delivered, it seems like. Um, 
we're in the last uh, last couple of hours of the uh, flight, so the breakfast will be on its way shortly. Uh, now, also on the um, the, the space front, uh, I saw uh, news that a, a doctoral student, Philip um, Saltrop at uh, University of Canterbury, has been doing some interesting uh, stuff, working on some uh, on developing techniques that uh, would reduce the effects of full fuel slosh in rockets. Apparently this is quite a uh, major problem and he's applying some, uh, some smart maths to it, some, um, some interesting algorithms and, and techniques that are uh, designed to counteract it. So that'll be interesting because anything that can improve the, uh, the efficiency of, uh, of these uh, launch vehicles is... Um, is something I'm, I'm sure would be, be incredibly uh, beneficial. You look at the overall uh, weight of a rocket, and uh, you know there's only a very small percentage that is available for the, the payload. So anything they can do to be uh, to be a bit more uh, efficient and to keep that thing going faster is uh, is, is fantastic. Now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Kodak. I've just been in uh, Rochester, New York, and the reason I went there was I was very interested to uh, delve in a little bit to um, their story and, and to get to see what uh, lessons could possibly be learned from the issues that uh, that they've had as a as a business and uh, you know of course their um, their their innovations of uh, of film photography and and video have been uh, heavily disrupted by technology so uh, there are a couple of key people that I that I met with as as well as uh, um, visiting the the museum where their uh, founder George uh, Eastman uh, used to live as his, his home is now a, uh, a museum um, but I met with an inventor and innovator uh, Stephen Sasson who was responsible for inventing the digital camera in 1975 and then in the, the late 90s uh, invented the first digital SLR along with a transmission uh, capability over phone lines and um, one interesting thing that came out of that uh, chat when I visited uh, Stephen uh, at it, at his home yesterday uh, was some insights into um, into how that technology first got uh, got used. So uh, apparently, um, after they developed this technology, they weren't quite sure who the who the customers for it might be. Um, but they they recognised because they had this digital SLR that could actually transmit uh, images over phone lines, uh, that there would certainly be some use cases where people need to move. Uh, reasonably high quality uh, images about pretty quickly and he said he found out uh, that CBS News used this technology to transmit uh, images from uh, Tiananmen Square after um, the the incident there um, and this yeah this must have um, yeah this take must take us back uh, around 20, 20 years or in that direction um, I can't remember the exact dates uh, for that, that massacre there in, uh, in China um, but CBS News were able to use it to get images out of Tiananmen Square when uh, China was sort of locking down other mechanisms for, uh, for getting media out of, uh, out of China at the time so yeah kind of uh, um, interesting but uh, there'll be more on, on this one because I've recorded some, uh, some separate interviews and, and content for uh, my new 
podcast and, and video series Disruption Playbook. Um, I also met with the, another um, ex-Kodak employee, John uh, Larish, and he's written a, a book about the demise of uh, of Kodak, you know, over a period of of uh, of thirty years, and uh, you know, he shared some of that story with me, and including uh, his opportunity to meet um, um, with the executive team of uh, of Kodak in the uh, in the eighties uh, before he exited the company, and uh, how he was uh, very much trying to in- encourage the leadership team uh, to bring on. Some Somebody from the electronics industry at that time uh, to to you know run part of the uh, the business, but uh, unfortunately, I think it was the um, the, the president of the uh, the firm uh, fell asleep in the meeting, and uh, they they didn't manage to uh, to take that message on. And uh, you know, I guess that was um, was part of the, the the story of how uh, how Kodak sort of missed missed the mark. So yeah, some quite interesting things um, in in that discussion. So we'll be pulling out some um, highlights and putting those in an upcoming video. Uh, now another couple of interesting uh, uh, news things that have come through. Apparently, Uber has uh, decided to stop developing autonomous trucks. And look, I find this one. Rather interesting because look, they made a, a, a pretty big uh, investment in this front um, when they bought Otto in 2016. Now, of course, they've had a, a lot of dramas. There's been litigation between them and uh, you know Alphabet's company uh, Waymo, and uh, um, you know legal issues there with apparently the uh, the Otto founder having. Having uh, uh, stolen intellectual property from Waymo, um, but it does seem like this is a, a pretty big uh, market segment, a pretty big opportunity uh, to get in there and, and you know disrupt the um, the way freight is, is hauled around the place uh, these these days. Um, but in yeah, in this this case, uh, Uber are saying, look, we're stepping back from that and that they're more interested rather than in disrupting the freight industry uh, is keeping focus on ride sharing and uh, and on the autonomous aspects of of that too. So I know this one's got me scratching my head a little bit. I do, you know, I do wonder uh, whether they, you know, maybe weren't as, as far along as they hoped to be, or that uh, you know, just too much of that uh, technology that they had uh, was getting them into an intellectual um, property rights uh, issues. Although you would tend to think if they're going to keep developing uh, autonomous vehicles for ride sharing, that there would be a, a reasonable amount of crossover uh, in this technology. So I'm, I'm kind of curious whether there's a little bit more behind the scenes to this, whether uh, maybe they will um, they will you know really step back from developing uh, their own intellectual uh, property to any great degree around uh, even autonomous cars and look to uh, to partner up in order to to really get the, the key capabilities that they need that that, that seems to make a, a lot of sense especially when we look at uh, how far ahead it appears that Waymo uh, with their technology and look if, if Uber can uh, can work things out maybe strike some sort of a, a licensing 
deal there and in light of their uh, you know, accident earlier on in the year uh, it, it seems that they're certainly um, they're certainly strugg- struggling there to a, a, a fair degree so speaking of soft driving vehicles drive dot AI are on the road in uh, Frisco, which is a, a suburb uh, outside of Dallas, Fort Worth, and, and Texas, and they seem to be creating a bit of a stir with their uh, their driverless vehicles. Uh, now, one thing there, they seem to be the only company other than Waymo. Who uh, who aren't putting uh, safety drivers uh, in their in their vehicles? Uh, although they do have a capability from remote drivers who can take control if there's some sort of an emergency uh, or an, or an issue. Uh, now they've got these uh, these bright orange uh, or yeah very visible vans, and they're using electronic signage to let pedestrians, uh, maybe other vehicles, know uh, exactly what they're um, what they're up to so this is uh, this is kind of interesting I first saw this concept uh, at Consumer Electronics Show at CES a a number of years ago um, when Mercedes uh, took uh, took an approach a little bit like uh, like that uh, in, uh, in in their concept vehicles. So, uh, look, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Drive.ai do, uh, but could uh, you know see a bit more activity and uh, and more vehicles uh, getting out onto the roads. Now we all uh, all know there's a, you know a lot of activity going on in the uh, artificial intelligence space and uh, um, machine learning. You know we and we hear uh, all sorts of things and and uh, and predictions about where this is going and uh, and where it's it's taking us. Uh, but there's been a, a report that uh, IBM's Watson um, gave out unsafe recommendations in relation to uh, to treating cancer. And uh, look, this is um, this is obviously something that's uh, that you know that's concerning, and and this is certainly a risk of uh, of AI when you you know you take the person out of the uh, the recommendation loop. Um, you know, what are the checks and balances, and how do you build those in uh, to ensure that we're we're not doing something that's uh, dangerous or unsafe? So the report, uh, according to the the Verge, is that in 2012, um, doctors based at Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Centre uh, partnered up with IBM to train Watson to diagnose and to treat patients. Uh, apparently, uh, the IBM documents uh, from last year stated that. Um, the uh, the advice from Watson has, has frequently been uh, bad, and in one case, it suggested a patient with severe bleeding uh, be given a drug that could cause the bleeding to worsen. Now, a spokesman, uh, spokesperson uh, from the uh, the cancer centre said, "Look, this was the suggestion was hypothetical, and it wasn't actually uh, inflicted on a uh, on an actual uh, patient." Um, although one uh, one of the, the doctors um, at uh, Jupiter Hospital in in, in Florida, uh, according to this documentation, uh, told told IBM. Um, Basically, that it was a, a piece of rubbish. So, um, look, you know, I can I can imagine that, um, that you know, the, the, 
there's some there's some pretty big risks with with moving into uh, artificial intelligence from a, a medical perspective, and you know the the key at, at least for quite a long time to come uh, will be making sure that that information is used to augment uh, the, the human uh, doctors, not to you know displace or 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 replace them, but be, you know be a tool that that allows them to uh, uh, you know find. Uh, and diagnose things quicker, uh, and to add to their uh, information and uh, and what they know from their first-hand uh, expertise and uh, and their own research and, and working with their colleagues and so on. Uh, but you know, I can imagine that this is, this is the sort of thing that could uh, you know could really scare people and uh, and and leave people very much uh, you know worried about the the use of um, artificial intelligence. Uh, in in the medical field and whether it uh, you know potentially could do more harm than good. Now, look, I'm pretty upbeat on this stuff. I think you know, I think longer term it should work well. In this case, we don't you know we don't have a, 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 examples of uh, you know of of it you know actually causing uh, real issues. And you know, there's always more to uh, to these stories as well. Uh, but you know, it, it's certainly important that. Uh, um, that we're cautionary with how we advance and how we utilise this technology, and and making sure that there there are uh, the appropriate checks and balances in place, and and maybe in some cases this uh, this is a sort of thing that uh, will need to be enacted into law. Although I imagine with this uh, happening in the US, there's uh, plenty of chance of litigation if they get this stuff wrong. Now on to a little bit of an update around what's happening in the world of, of 5G and, and specifically with uh, T-Mobile in the US who have signed a $3.5 billion uh, US deal uh, with Nokia for 5G technology. Now uh, Nokia had um, previously announced that they're looking to roll out uh, uh, or at least to start uh, start with the building of their 5G network in third. 30 um, cities across uh, the United States this year um, so they're uh, they're very um, you know gung-ho about moving forward with that uh, they're going to be uh, using 600 uh, megahertz frequently frequency as well as 28 gigahertz uh, which is the millimeter wave um, spectrum so that they can uh, you know reach a broad number of uh, of people um, but but also deliver those high speeds in the um, um, you know built up uh, urban urban areas so look I think this is this is really the first uh, Really big 5G announcement that we've uh, we've heard about from a mobile uh, provider, and it, it looks like uh, you know T-Mobile are, are really uh, are very very keen uh, to be at the forefront of this uh, in America, and you know they're, they're competing with the uh, the other carriers who have already done uh, you know a, a mix of uh, of trials on the 5G front, uh, but they're moving ahead with it uh, pretty quickly. Faster than what I would anticipate, we'll see uh, see happening in here. And uh, look, with uh, with a you know five G network that will um, you know have some some differences to what we would expect to see uh, in in New Zealand. 
So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting uh, re- interesting one to watch. Of course, we don't have uh, have any you know, smartphones as such that would be able to take advantage of this uh, technology right now. Um, but, I, you know, I think there's some exciting possibilities with the, the lower latency that 5G uh, brings and those, uh, th- those higher uh, speeds, a higher you know, bandwidth uh, becoming available. So uh, yeah, this will certainly be uh, be be one to watch, and I'm sure our um, our telcos uh, locally will be uh, will be very very interested to uh, uh, to see how T-Mobile uh, get on with this. Well, that's uh, it for this uh, short episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, I hope you've uh, hope you've en- enjoyed it, and we'll be back again um, with our big episode uh, four hundred next uh, next week. And we've got some really interesting guests coming up uh, across August. So uh, hope you'll uh, hope you'll be listening in to those ones. So thanks everybody for uh, for joining me. Um, you can track me down uh, if you want to email me uh, paul dot spain at Gar- HQ.com or feel free to uh, to hit me up across uh, Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn where, where I'm very easy to find uh, as just as Paul Spain. All right. Thanks. Catch you next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.